This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian. I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. Look, some of us are lazy, all right? If by lazy you mean wrong. Prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide whether the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers. Because guess what? This film is lit. First rule of Fight Club is. Oh, the first rule of Fight Club is to stop making jokes about the first rule of Fight Club. It's not 1999 anymore. But it is Fight Club, and this film is lit. That's right, welcome back to This Film Is Lit. It's a very special episode. We're discussing Fight Club. Katie, first time watching the film. <laughs> My second or third time. What'd you think? Just brief impressions of the film. I liked it. Yeah. It, was, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, David Fincher doesn't really make bad movies necessarily. <laughs> if nothing else, they're interesting. So I, I liked the the way that it was shot. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it, it was unique and it was fun to look at. Yeah. It, like most of David Fincher stuff tends to, like I said, if 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 not always the best movie in the world, it isn't. Never not interesting. So, and yeah, this is one of the more interestingly shot, interestingly shot Fincher films. Mm-hmm. More so than like Gone Girl and a couple of the other ones I've seen. It's really neat. So, let's get into our segments. We're just going to hit it, the ground running and start with, guess who? Let's do it. All right. Some? Oh, we have three today. Sweet. Okay. Um, had these written down. Had to wait and make sure they were all in the movie. <laughs> but they are. Cool. So here we go. All right. First one. His big shoulders made me think of the horizon. His thick blonde hair was what you get when hair cream calls itself sculpting mousse. So thick and blonde, and the part is so straight. <laughs> Well, two characters with blonde hair jumped to my head. Well, I mean, Tyler Durden, I assume, is going to be one of these. And he has blonde hair, and it's usually moosey, kind of, but it's not thick and parted. Uh, the other one I think of, is, and I assume he's in the book, is Angel, which is Jared Leto's character. Because mm-hmm. he has very distinct blonde hair. Mm-hmm. And he's like one of the main Project Mayhem people. And then... Those are really the only two. But then the shoulders thing. Wide shoulders. Maybe Bob has blonde hair. If Bob's even in, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with just, I'm going to go with Tyler Durden. It's actually Big Bob. Oh, it is Bob. Yeah, okay. Big Bob. Um, we don't ever really get any description of Tyler Durden. I wondered if There's, we might not. Yeah, Spoilers, point, I won't guess that for the next two. <laughs> at one point, um... They says like his hair was hanging in his face. Yeah, but that's really all the description we get of Tyler Durden. 
Okay. Bob. His name was Robert Paulson. All right, we'll talk about that. And Bob a little more later. So, mm-hmm. 0 for 1. Next one. Let's do it. Short matte black hair. Eyes big the way they are in Japanese animation. Skim milk skin. Marla Singer. You could let me finish. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know. I know. Go ahead. Some of the <laughs> descriptions are nice sometimes. Sorry. No, I was just being a jerk. Go ahead. Buttermilk sallow in her dress with a wallpaper pattern of dark roses. The center part down the center of her hair is a crooked lightning bolt of white scalp. Yeah, Marla. Yeah, well, they nailed Marla. Yeah, no, that looks exactly <laughs> Helen the Bottom Carter. We talked about some of the other actresses that were proposed, mm-hmm. and some of those would work. Uh, like, what was the... Uh, um, in particular, uh, what's her name? Um... Kleptomaniac girl. Uh, Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder would have worked. <laughs> she could have pulled it off. The other one that was kind of interesting was uh, Courtney Love. Yeah. But yeah, no. Helen, but yeah, spot on. Like I said, oh, I knew yeah. exactly as soon as you started reading it. It's just describing Helena Bonham Carter, though. Kinda, I know. Like, this is kind of <laughs> how she looks. So, <laughs> Woo, one for two. Okay, last one. Even with his two black eyes and blonde crew cut... You can see his tough, pretty scowl without wrinkles or scars. Put him in a dress and make him smile, and he'd be a woman. This might be Angel. He's pretty. It's Jared Leto, after all. <laughs> and the other, I mean, it could be the narrator, but I don't, he wouldn't be describing himself. Maybe he would. Somebody who was fighting, so he has black eyes, so it's probably somebody in Project Mayhem or whatever. Uh, I'm going I'm to go with Angel. You're correct. Yes! Although they call him, that he's Mr. Angel Face oh, okay. in the book. Fair enough. Just Jared Leto's character, <laughs> which I have a little thing I noticed that I want to talk about with when he's introduced in the movie mm. that I'd never noticed and I thought was funny. So. His bleach blonde well, Yeah, hair. but in, well, I mean, it's a specific thing. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Woo! Two for three. Was there another one or is that it? Nope, that's it. Sweet. One th- other thing that stuck out to me, the character of Chloe... The girl at the, oh, the support group, yeah. yeah, who's dying. He continually describes her as looking like a skeleton dipped in yellow wax, mm. which is nice and gross. Yeah, yeah. He has a the description he uses in the movies. He says it looks like Meryl Streep's skeleton. Yeah, was like I don't know, put up, walked around the room or something. <laughs> like that. I can't remember how he says it, but something similar. Interesting. Well, two for three, not too bad. Let's move right along. So, was that in the book? things here um and they're kind of like i have a feeling a lot of these are going to end up being in the book mm-hmm. but the reason i wanted to talk about it was because they're like some of the iconic scenes from the movie and right, i'd be interested right. to see if the iconic scenes were in fact in the book and how similar they were that sort of thing kind of to compare yeah some of the main you know big scenes from the film so the first one and it's when they first come up with the idea of the fight club is the i want you to hit me or tyler durden says i want you to hit me to, in like the alley or outside the bar mm-hmm. um, is that scene in the book like I said I assume it is but how closely does that scene sort of mirror the film that scene is in the book okay 
Um, it plays out pretty similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one difference that I kind of wanted to talk about mm. in another segment. Okay, yeah, that's fine. I figured some of this we might yeah. show up in better in the book, better in the movie, that sort of thing. But so it is in the book, and it's pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Just, do, do you recall the line? I want you to hit me as hard as you can, or whatever he says. I believe that is in there, word for word. Let okay, me check. Yeah, look real quick. Yes. Go ahead and read the line. All right. There, drunk in a bar where no one was watching and no one would care, I asked Tyler what he wanted me to do. Mm, some of those homoerotic mm, overtones little, little we discussed. yes. Tyler said, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. There you go. It's in the book. Cool. The last line of chapter five. <laughs> there you go. It's good. Yeah, like I said, I figured it would be. I, I, we can talk about, well, if we want to come up somewhere with the, the homoerotic kind of overtones. Again, I did. I, there's a couple moments, mm-hmm. and there's a couple particular lines in the movie. But again, even looking this time, it wasn't like it wasn't there to the point where, as an audience member, like a layman audience member, because his his whole purpose said he said he wanted to keep the those the the homoerotic overtones between Tyler Durden and uh, the narrator was to put the audience at, on edge right, and kind of make right. them uncomfortable. But I don't think it would make me uncomfortable because none of it to me was overt enough yeah. to like there was little moments there's the line where i mean it gets into a whole nother can of worms where they're sitting where he's in the tub and he's and and the narrator's sitting on the floor uh-huh. and and tyler durden says uh or a generation of men raised by women do maybe what we don't maybe the thing we don't need is another woman yeah like or something like yeah. that and there's a couple little moments like that but like how how obvious was it to you that those kind of overtones or moments in the film um I noticed more than a few yeah. moments, but I was looking for it. Yeah. See, I even was, and it still didn't hit me that hard. Um, but I, I think it was more overt in the book uh-huh. to me. Well, that one line you just read. Oh, yeah. Is, was and Now, to be fair, there is, like I said, one of the lines, and I can't remember what it was, was pretty similar to that in the film. Yeah. I swear one of them says something like that. I think Tyler Durden says something like that. Yeah, but like, like that line in particular was more overt than almost anything in the movie. So, and that was just one line that you happened to read. So, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. I just didn't stir, it didn't stick out to me as much as I would have thought it would have. Consider or giving what we know that David Fincher said he wanted to do mm-hmm. with it, and what he wanted the audience to feel. The fact that I just don't really feel that that mm-hmm. much was interesting to me, even knowing that I'm supposed to feel that. Maybe it was just very subtle. I mean, it was very subtle, but like, <laughs> yeah, it, it is pretty subtle. I guess it just didn't make me, and maybe it was just not something that would make me uncomfortable. I don't know. Like, maybe other yeah. people, some people, it does make. I don't know. I just never really. Well, I mean, I, I think it's kind of one of the brilliant things about the way this story is told is that, like we discussed a little bit in the prequel episode, it can be both a love letter to and. Um, an, an indictment of this kind of toxic masculinity. Yeah. Um, and of and, the whole, the sort of counterculture, burn it all down yeah, kind of yeah. mindset. And in the same breath, too, like, a lot of the stuff can be read as homoerotic, but it can also be read as just kind of bro-y. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. I agree. It's just, yeah. Yeah, this is interesting. All right, moving on. Are the rules of Fight Club in... The book. I mean, they're the most iconic part, as we've joked about in the intro. It's the the quote everybody knows yeah. that everybody has said a million times for sure. Fight clubs. You don't talk about Fight Club. Yes, are they the are rules in the, in the book. book. Yes. Okay, 
uh, is it is the first rule you don't talk about Fight Club? Is the second rule you don't talk about Fight Club? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so they're pretty much verbatim. Yeah. At least, you know, for the most part. I mean, there's no reason to change no, this. No, <laughs> no. I just wanted to make sure, like I said, those are the kind of things where I want to know, you know, the big cultural touchstone moments and see the big scenes of the film that everybody knows about. Like, I wanted to know mm-hmm. how much of that was actually based in the book. So, cool. The rules of Fight Club are in Fight Club. <laughs> it's not surprising. Okay. Another big famous scene, the the lie scene, where Tyler Durden mm-hmm. holds his hand down and dumps lie on his hand. Yes. And he talks about reaching, um, nir- not nirvana, but like a moment of clarity yeah. and not r- running away from the pain, but mm-hmm. embracing it and that sort of thing. So that scene is in the... Yes, it is in the book. And I... I'm going to go back to the homoeroticism thing. Right. Um, Because that's one of the places where in the book I think that comes through a little bit more. um, Because he continually refers to it as Tyler's kiss Mm. on his skin. Yeah, because he does kiss him to put the moisture there for the lie to react with. Which I believe is how that works. Like, I think it needs moisture in order to to cause that burn. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that scene is in... It is in there, yeah. But that was a, a little difference that I noticed. Yeah. That I don't think in the movie ever I don't know if they ever, ever refer to, to it as his kiss or Mm-mm. Tyler's kiss or anything like that. I didn't I mean, notice that. It is a, you can tell it's lips, kind right. of, like mouth-shaped, and you see him, I mean, he can literally kiss his hand, but they never explicitly say that or yeah. really make too much reference of it later other than just to see it on his hand all the time. Interesting, because that's an intense scene. Uh, it's a really good scene, and Brad Pitt's really good. Brad Pitt's really good in his movie, period. Yeah, he is. But he's really good in that scene. Um, well, there, I, I say Brad Pitt like the rest of everybody else isn't really good in this movie, but <laughs> that scene, yeah, it's uh, bonkers. And we'll get into some more of the sort of undertones and the, not undertones, uh, the themes and some of that. We'll get into a little more generic discussion later. Yeah. Because we have some things to say. Or to discuss, not to say necessarily, but uh, we'll have some things to discuss about that, but we're just going to hit through these real quick. Robert Paulson, his name was Robert Paulson. We, well, I, we already know Big Bob is in the book, mm-hmm. so he is in the book. Is his name Robert Paulson? Yes. Does he die? Yes. Does it become like a a meme for them? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. Do um, they say his name was Robert Paulson? Yeah, they that chant same? that. It okay. plays out a little differently. Um like uh, the narrator doesn't like prompt them to begin right. chanting it like he does in the movie. That's yeah. just something that they do yeah. when they lose somebody. I right. guess. Okay. I love that scene though when he's because he's finally after he's sort of been separated from Tyler Durden. I, I say spoilers, by the way. If you're listening to this at this point, <laughs> we'll get to the the twist uh, here in a little bit and discuss it more. But we're gonna ruin the twist throughout via our discussion so um but i like at that point where he's like it's just the comedy of that scene like just the overt like absurdity of it where Mm -hmm. he's like everything he says they take as some deep yeah like yeah thing and he's like no what are you not she's dead what are we what are you guys doing and it's a great scene and i love that that sort of absurdity of this cult Mm-hmm. Kind of just hang on every word he says, even when he does, has no desire for that to be the case. Uh, <laughs> all right, Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. He's in the book. Final one for was that in the book? And this big spoiler. So 
the big twist, which we'll get mm. to more, is that Tyler Durden is the narrator. Yes, same they are one of the same person. This is one of his part of his personality. It's a projection of his own personality. Eventually, he gets to the point that it's, it's all the things he wishes he could be, you know, and mm-hmm. free and what that sort of thing. Um, so it, at the the climax of the film, does or of the book, does the narrator shoot himself? in the head to kill Tyler Durden or does he somehow kill Tyler Durden or how does that? So the ending plays out really differently. Okay. Um, there is still where he puts the gun in his mouth to, and and he says that he shot himself Okay. and that he died and that Tyler died too. Oh, but he's narrating it. So it, it, like I said, it plays out differently, and that's something I want to talk about okay. in another segment. Okay. A big part of this story is that he's... I mean, we could retitle this book Unreliable Narrator, the yeah. novel. Yeah, yeah. So you never really know... What's, what's what the if, truth? Yeah, if the thing that he's saying is, is legit. So he says he shot himself, but right. did he? Yeah. Did he? Right. So he says he shoots himself, yes. now whether or not he does... All up for debate. All up for debate. So, same for the movie. There's lots to be debated. All right, well, that's all I got for was that in the book. Most of the big famous scenes pretty much in the book. Um, Um, That scene where he fights with the owner of the bar is not in the book. Oh, uh, Lou? Yeah. Yeah, the Lou scene. At least I don't remember that being in the book. Oh, okay. So the (laughs) Lou scene isn't in the book. Yeah, Yeah. that seems like something they could have added. It's an interesting scene because the, the thing that always sticks out to me in that scene where the where Lou comes down and is like, "What are you guys doing here?" is uh, the way Brad Pitt laughs in that scene. Yeah, that weird forced fake laugh that's like <laughs> kind of real but half is very strange. Yeah. It's such a weird laugh. I don't know how he came settled on that for how he was going to laugh in that moment. But anyways, let's move on right along to Lost in Translation adaptation. I will never write that right. It's lost in adaptation. <laughs> Jeez. This is going to be a wide-ranging sort of thing. There aren't really anything I was confused about mm-hmm. so much as things I just kind of want to discuss about how it was done in the book mm-hmm. versus how it was done in the movie, that sort of thing. Uh, so first thing is how do they deal, how does Chuck Palahniuk Nick, sort of deal with narrator and Tyler Durden scenes where they're in the same mm-hmm. scene. The one that in particular that made me write this question down was, and I, I, I guess I could have asked if this was in the book, but yeah. the car crash scene where they, they crash. Is that in the book? Okay. Um, so it is in the book. Okay. But Tyler is not there. Oh, okay. It's the narrator and, um, the mechanic, yeah. Which I guess is the character that gets them the car in yeah. the movie. He's yeah. there in the car. He's the one driving. Oh, he's driving. Yeah. The oh, okay. Is. And then there's two guys in the back. Okay. Interesting. So that's, I mean, that, it's a that, non-issue. Yeah, it's a book. non-issue in yeah. the book because it plays out very differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than that, I think it handle it kind of a similar way. Yeah. Whereas, you know, as the movie is starting out... We really only ever see Tyler when the narrator is alone. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yeah, when he first meets yeah. Tyler, it's only him, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, and then it gradually gets to like more and more like where Tyler is around other people. Yeah. 
But it, and and because yeah, in the movie, they, I mean, it, I figured they handled it the same way. Whereas, and they kind of explain it at the end of the movie. Yeah, they kind of explain it to the audience that yeah. that whenever Tyler was, sometimes he imagined himself watching Tyler. Yeah. Even though it was him talking, like he would be talking, but yeah, he like, would imagine like an himself out of body. Yeah, kind like of watching thing. Tyler talking, but then other times he would imagine himself as Tyler. So it was like the, it was like multiple different ways, and and there's never a moment in the film where it doesn't make sense. And yeah. they, they went to, from what I remember reading, they went to pretty painstaking lengths to make sure like logically it made sense that there was never a moment where you're like, wait a second. If he's talking to like, it's never like Tyler Durden's talking to a, a different character yeah. at the same time as the narrator's talking to another different character or yeah. something like that. Like that never happens. The one that was biggest. And the reason I wrote it down was the car scene in right. the movie. And the- because I had because I wanted to know because if it was in it and it was the same playout where Tyler's driving and the narrator's sitting shotgun and there's two people in the back because I was wondering because they don't ever cut back to that in the like oh look at all the moments right like when they after we, we the twist is revealed they go back to a lot of moments in the film and show that it was just the narrator every time like he's beating himself up or he's just yeah. holding his hand on the table and then that one they don't cut back to because I had to wonder like. Was he driving? He was driving, and he was arguing out loud with himself. I, like I noticed I know. that too, and then like you, that was the only moment I thought didn't really work. Yeah, as far as that twist goes. Yeah, it would it, only because of the there being other people there. Right. If there hadn't been other people in the car, no problem. Yeah, and 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 even then, I guess because they they whenever they show them, it might it's at this point they're far enough in that they just kind of go with whatever this dude yeah, says. So they roll with they it. they are looking very like. We're assuming they're only reacting to, like, the argument that these two people are having and whether or not they're about to crash into an oncoming yeah. truck when actually they could be reacting to the fact that the guy driving their car is having, like, a, a fucking existential a conversation with himself. With himself. Yeah. And yeah. their reactions kind of work in both ways, so maybe that's what they were going for. I yeah. could see that being the case. But, yeah, that was the one scene where I was wondering how that played out in the book. So yeah. by changing it the way they did, or not changing it, but by doing it the way the book did it, yeah, you don't have to deal with that. And two... Um in the book, I think they mentioned this in the movie, but they didn't really make a big thing out of it about how um, the narrator has insomnia, yeah. and then when he thinks he's asleep, he's actually being Tyler. Oh Durden. yeah, they don't really. Yeah, they like. I think they, they touch do. on it. They do at the end because yeah. they say like that he he was working jobs. Like he goes, remember how Tyler works at night or whatever? Right. When you're sleeping, he's working. But that's uh, in the book. That's more of a a thing. That's more of a plot point. Okay. Um, No, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of get into that and see how they did it. And like I said, I figured it was pretty similar because the way they do it in the movie works really well, and I didn't really have any problem with it. But just Mm kind of wanted to talk about it. Okay. Other thing that I want to discuss, and this is just kind of silly, but I want to see if we can figure this out. And this is a wide, going to be a big, wide-ranging kind of discussion about, like, what the movie is about, even, and, like, what the point would be and that sort of thing. We discussed it a little bit in the prequel episode that David Fincher, or not David Fincher, the studio originally didn't want the twist. hmm And that David Fincher insisted that, no, we have to have the twist. Yeah. Um, and studios, their thinking was that audiences wouldn't like it, they wouldn't understand it, they wouldn't get it. So... I have to wonder, and I touched, like I said, we touched on this little prequel episode, like, how did they think that would work without revealing that Tyler Durden is the narrator? Is it just Tyler Durden's a different character? 
I mean, his own it character. would have to be. He would just have to be his uh, his own dude. His own his own guy, and yeah. it's so. But then it's well, that it, makes it like a much blander story. Well, because it completely undercuts the internal exactly struggle yeah. of the character. Yeah, that the whole point of the movie is embracing that that battle between embracing like chaos, the chaos versus. Uh, and, and like going down that path and and how that can be freeing yeah and 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 that sort of thing versus the you know normal corporate you know right bland uh cookie cutter life or whatever sort of uh, being part of the machine or whatever yeah. whatever you want to call it and so splitting that into two characters can still work but it it completely pulls the punch of the the sort of um implications for for the own for each person watching the movie and it's why the movie or it's why it's so effective to me in a lot of ways is because as much as as much as you can disagree with a lot of like sort of tyler durden's outlook on things like there is something and it's why it works so well there is something enticing about it there is something freeing feeling sounding a little bit about it sort of that like weird like chaos like Almost like a weird, like, perversion on, like, an Eastern religion, sort of. Like, almost this weird perversion on, like, Hinduism or something. Or not Hinduism, but, like, of just uh, giving up all... I may may even say as much in the movie, but, like, giving up all your worldly possessions. And not really caring about, like, that sort of thing. And just sort of, I don't know, living, I guess. Mm -hmm. But even that, it's not really where it goes. Sorry, I rambled for a long time there. But I just think (laughs) splitting that into two characters... Sort of it pulls all of the fucking right. Well, it is splitting it to two characters takes the conflict from internal to external, yeah. which makes it less impactful. Yeah, um, it, it makes it every other story. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. It makes it every. It makes it super generic. Every other yeah. story. Tyler's still the villain. Yeah, but he's just a villain. In the version we get, in the actual version, you're the villain. Yeah. <laughs> like, our main character is the villain. And the, the good guy, kind, you know, not really. He's the protagonist and the antagonist, uh, he's, essentially. Yeah, he's the two-faced god. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, it, I don't understand how that, and again, I, I guess I do understand in the sense where they go, well, it'll just be a movie about, you know, yeah, it'll be like every other movie. It'll, it's less yeah. it's less of a risk, I guess, in the sense that... Oh, it, totally. But it just, to me, it's like, what, what's the point? That, like, what is the... It doesn't do anything interesting if it's just Tyler Durden's just a guy. Right. Which I'm it's, sure it was exactly what David Fincher said, and was like, that's why we gotta <laughs> fucking have the twist. What are you talking about? No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It It makes it a safer story. It makes it a safer bet. It makes it less of a risk. But... It makes it into vanilla pudding. At the same time, it also, I didn't, I can't believe they would want to do that. When didn't The Sixth Sense come out like two or three years before this? Didn't The Sixth Sense come out like 96? Because to me, (laughs) it's a similar thing. I think it did come out. I'm pretty sure The Sixth Sense came out like in like 96. No, 99, same year. So maybe it wasn't out yet. Um, I mean, it wasn't out yet. So they they didn't know how well that was going to do. Because to me, it's like, I guess it's less of a risk, and it won't confuse audiences, or it won't right to to have it be two separate characters, and to not have this weird uh, internal, uh, almost schizophrenic type of mm-hmm. thing going on. 
But it also makes it way less interesting, to, even to, like, this movie is much loved and much by, like, a lot of really dumb people, like, that don't really think about it way too, <laughs> like, and I mean, yeah. just because it's such a f interesting twist, like, just throwing all the implication, the moral implications, and all the, the questions it brings about our inner nature and that sort of thing, and, like, what, you know, kind of divulging all of that, just on, like, a bare-bones, like shocker moment in mm -hmm. a movie to find out that the villain was not the villain but you know like kind of the villain yeah. was the main character all with the same time it's on par with finding out that your main character was dead the whole movie <laughs> and that worked out really well for yeah. the sixth yeah. and i just wonder because like you're like yeah it's safer but at the same time it's way, way, got a way better chance of, like, hooking people with just being like, oh, my God, because people are going to be like, and now I guess it didn't happen because it didn't make that much money. But I feel like it would be more inclined for people to be like, oh, my God, did you see Fight Club? Did you, did you, I did yeah. not see what was coming, what happened at the end of that movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Versus, like, did you see Fight Club? It's about a guy who, like, embraces the chaos and doing, waging a moral war with the fucking cubicle worker. Like, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's so weird to me that, well, yeah, sure, safer, but it just doesn't, I don't know. It's another another piece of, another, uh, another peg in the board of uh, examples of studio execs fucking don't understand <laughs> movies, but <laughs> anyways. Yeah, I just, that's what I wanted to talk about is how do you make that work without the twist. Yeah. And I just, I guess it, it kind of works. It but it's works. just boring. As a different boring story. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, it, it shifts it from internal to external, which to me shifts it from a story that makes me ask questions about myself yeah. to a story that is just a thing to watch. Yeah. Like it's just, no, you're right. And like, like, cause like when it's, it's something when, you know, when those characters are both existing within the same person and sort of, it makes you question things. Whereas if it's just a guy, it's like, well, he was the bad guy, I guess, or whatever, like. You know, yeah, then uh, it's just like it's a Liam Neeson movie. Yeah, right? it's just, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Well, that was fun. That was all I have for Lost in Trail Adaptation. I think we're going to move along to Better in the Book. Katie, what was Better in the Book? Um, okay, so a big thing that stretches over the entire story... Um, the movie is a lot more linear than the book. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the only non-linear elements is that it opens at the end, essentially. I mean, that's still, yeah, that's still, um, that's the same in the, in book. the book as it okay. is in the movie. It does open at the end. But, but I just like, that's um, the only part in the movie that does. Right. Yeah, sorry. Like, uh, the book is, like, super mixed around. Okay. And, like, things are happening, and then we jump back and forth between different things, um, and I, I think that works better for the kind of story that this is. Yeah. And I, I understand why they made that change, because I think it might have been hard to follow in movie form. Yeah. But I, I really think it it works really well for the type of story this is and the type of conflict that's present. So just kind of, a, I don't want to go too much into it, but do you have like a bit of an example just of like what kind of structure like do we jump from so you said so you said it starts at the end like it does in the movie but then are we like from chapter to chapter jumping from like 
more towards the end of the story, towards the beginning, or how how is it? How is that structure different? Oh God, I don't even. Remember. I don't want to go into a lot of detail. Just no, I'm just thinking. Yeah, I, sorry, sorry. I don't even really know how to describe how this book is structured. <laughs> I I mentioned to you after I finished reading it that it was like reading a fever dream. Yeah. So like you know how when you're dreaming, yeah. stuff will just kind of change. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't but know it how you makes ended up sense yeah. in the context of the dream. Yeah. It's kind of like kind of like that. that. Interesting. Um, Interesting. It, it kind of just everything all kind of flows together, and like there's very little like kind of separation between different events. It all just kind of like runs together and mashes up, and you're not really sure like did this happen before that. They said that that happened before that, but now I'm reading this thing over here, and now I'm not really sure if that happened before that or if it happened after that. That's cool. And like you said, I think that works really well for, from what I gather of it, it when you have an unreliable narrator like yes. that dealing with a story about a guy who's having a psychotic he's, break yes. almost or whatever oh, you want to call he's it. most definitely having yeah. a psychotic break. Um so doing that kind of structure, yes, uh, yeah. is very interesting, and Work, I could see works working really, really, well. really well. Yeah, kind of make you question, yeah, along with him, what is real and what's when events happen. Yeah, cool. Okay, so Tyler makes soap. Yeah, and in the movie, we see he has the briefcase full of soap. Uh huh. Right away. Yeah. In the um, first scene, we meet him. Yeah. So in the book, they don't start making the soap until a little later, when they're already living together. Yeah. Yeah, in the house. <laughs> in the house. Um, and the way that they start making the soap is so gross and dark and funny that I almost can't believe they left it out of the movie. Really? So Marla... <laughs> is worried that when she gets old, she'll have thin lips. Okay. So she wants to um, get, like, injections uh -huh. when she's old. But she says um, the best thing to use is your own fat okay. to do this. Well, she's really skinny. Right. She doesn't have any fat to, you know, to yeah. st stash away. Right. So she figures the next best thing is fat from a family member. <laughs> so her mom will get liposuction and send Marla the fat Ugh. and she stores it. Ugh. And the first time they make soap... Is with Marla's mother's fat. <laughs> and there's a scene where she finds out about it and she gets wildly upset. <laughs> yeah. And, but, and then accidentally breaks open a bag of it and they're like sliding around the oh, kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, like, I guess it's not really narratively yeah. important. So yeah. maybe I understand why they cut it from that aspect. Yeah, that's an extra character yeah. and some extra backstory to work in there. Yeah, so. and it, it was a, a fairly long movie, I yeah. felt like. Yeah, it was like 2.15. Yeah, but, uh, but gosh, that was a great scene. <laughs> you get a little bit of it when they do go to the liposuction <laughs> Oh, yeah, place. and they do. They do that closer to the end oh, okay. of the book. In the book, They yeah. steal medical waste and all yeah. kinds of stuff. Right. Really, just all great. kinds of awful things. Yeah, great. just everything awful that you can think of. Yeah, <laughs> yep, <laughs> sounds about right. 
All right. Um, okay, so in the book, it's the narrator who has the encounter with Raymond K. Hessel, um, the guy that he almost kills, but then he finds out he was going to be a veterinarian. Oh, yeah, yeah, And he tells him he has to go back to yeah, school. Yeah, go back to school. Um, so Tyler Durden isn't there when he okay. does that. It's just the narrator. Huh. That was something I wanted to talk about. Now, I don't want to cut you off. You ever want to go into more detail about that, but... Because it was earlier, I had a similar thing where you said Tyler wasn't in the car. Mm-hmm. Are there moments in the book where the narrator takes on more of the Tyler? That's where I'm going okay. with this. Okay, cool. Because that was very yeah. interesting. I was wondering what, yeah, because okay. It's, it's, I think, one of the first times that we see him acting a little bit like himself, but a little bit like Tyler. Yeah. Huh, okay. That's, yeah, because that's what I was wondering, because when you said that earlier with the car thing, and I'm like, well, that whole scene is kind of, the whole point is, like, the Tyler's character, yeah. and where if he's not there, that seems weird, because, like, the narrator's usually not. But, I mean, there are moments like that in the film mm-hmm. where the narrator um, sort of borders on that. He has those kind of yeah um, Tyler, especially, usually when it, usually, like, when he's at work and stuff like that. Yeah. But then eventually, towards the end, it sort of flips back to where he, the narrator character, is just sort of like normal him mm-hmm. or whatever versus the Tyler version. Interesting. Yeah, and I, I thought that scene was really nicely done in the book. Yeah, um, and it was a good kind of segue into the latter half of the story. That also. Speaking, because I have a note about that scene, the Phil, uh, the Russell, whatever, the mm-hmm. the clerk scene where he tells him to go back to school. I actually thought that didn't make any sense in the movie. Yeah. With Tyler doing it. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it does, like, kind of. But then he tells him to go back to school. And I'm like, that's a really interesting thing for Tyler Durden yeah. to do, is to tell this kid to go be part of the machine. Yeah. Go back to school and get your degree so you can go heal baby animals isn't really like a very the Tyler very Tyler Durden-y Tyler thing. Durden message. <laughs> so I remember thinking like that doesn't really make any sense. Why? What? But it makes more sense if it's the narrator doing yeah. it, and he's sort of in between, kind of like still some of his more like um, grounded sort of uh, mm-hmm. I don't even know the right word for it um, personality. Yeah, okay. That actually makes a lot more sense that way. Like I said, I wrote a note down where I was like, I don't understand why he tells him to go follow his dreams and (laughs) be a veterinarian. That's not what Tyler Durden would tell somebody to do, I don't think. but that's not what he's about. (laughs) But sure, okay, that's interesting. We mentioned earlier that there is a moment near the end where Tyler spells everything out for the narrator, or well, for the audience. Yeah, when they're sitting Um, in a hotel room, yeah. Um, and explains all of the stuff. I really didn't like that. It's it. I, that to me felt very much like the studio execs compromise. Yeah. To going okay, fine, we'll do the twist, but we're gonna sit in a hotel room and Brad Pitt's gonna explain to the audience what's going on. Yeah. And he was like, fine. <laughs> 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 and like, we're gonna have flashbacks to all the scenes where yeah. Tyler was there, so that the audience understands. That actually he wasn't, and it was just the narrator. Like, yeah, like to me, ugh, God, it was just so like, 
hey, you dumbasses, you dumbass audience. 100% what it was. This is what's happening in the story. I guarantee, like I said, I guarantee that was Studio Six. It was somebody higher up going, okay, fine, we'll do your twist. We'll do the twist. But you have to explain it to people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's just not in the book, I assume. Trust your audience. Yeah. No, they can't. Studio execs can't because they got to try to make money. And if they think people won't get it, they won't like it. And then they won't tell people to go see it. And then, yeah. I think it works okay. Because of Tyler's character, the way it's done in the movie doesn't bother me a lot. Um, it, it is very clearly, like I said, as we just talked about, it's very obvious that this was them going, okay, we have to explain to these all these dummies in the theater yeah. what's going on. But the kind of condescending... Uh, nature of Tyler in that scene throughout the movie and then in that scene yeah the way he's sort of like shitting on the narrator yeah while doing it kind of makes it work for me where he's like what do you think this is like what do you think's going like he's you know what I mean like that's sort of like he's le once again lecturing the narrator about like how do you not get like almost like how do you not see what was going on or mm -hmm. how do you know kind of makes it work for me because of how good Brad Pitt is and the way his character kind of works I, again i yeah it's very obvious what it is and it's not the best scene in the movie by any stretch <laughs> but it, it kind of works anything else for the better in the book um i want to talk about the ending oh yeah this is the ending one the two endings are really really different that's what i heard um i think i knew that the movie ending is very movie mm -hmm. everything blows up and uh and they hold hands and Stand at the window and, and watch late 90s rock watch plays. the world crumble. Yeah. To uh what the oh that band. What is that fucking <laughs> band? They sit and they watch the world crumble to uh scored by the Pixies. Oh. Which is Where Is My Mind is the name of that song. <laughs> so yeah, literally a song called Where Is My Mind. So you know, real subtle stuff, but yeah, <laughs> super subtle stuff. But it's a good it's a good it's a fun scene. It's a good yeah, scene. I like it. Yeah, but, it's um But so the book. So in the book uh, basically what happens is that he's got the gun in his mouth. He, they're in, I think, the same building. Yeah. So the plan is the same to blow up all the credit uh, companies. Yeah, I think and so. Then, yeah. Um, and he's in the building, and then Marla shows up with some of the people from the support groups. Uh -huh. So there's, like, a callback to that. <laughs> hey, those people. Yeah. Um, and they're like, no, we can help you, we can help you, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then he says he shoots himself. He says he died. He says Tyler Durden died. Mm -hmm. And then he says he's gone to heaven. Okay. But heaven sounds an awful lot like a psychiatric hospital. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and all of the orderlies have black eyes. Wow. And they tell him everything is going according to plan, sir. <laughs> Fantastic. So it's actually a really super bleak ending in the book. Yeah. Like nothing changed. Just, I, I, uh, yeah. And I, I like kind of like the, the amb ambiguity yeah. of it um, and the bleakness. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there was a, a little bit of ambiguity. Oh, in the movie? In 100%. The movie? Yeah. yeah. It's not clear know, what yeah. exactly like the the outcome of yeah. this all is it, to me like i felt like it was kind of implied that maybe tyler won out yeah yeah it could be that or i mean because the plan still happens all yeah. the credit companies get blown up yeah i mean yeah you could look at it that way that tyler ended up winning i don't think so i like to not think so because uh, for my take on uh sort of the whole overarching uh message about um 
who the actual bad guy is. And uh, I mean, mine's sort of an optimistic read on it, I guess, mm-hmm. and me like kind of wanting it to play out the way I do. In the fr- the idea that he does actually kill Tyler, because to me that cements the idea that Tyler was wrong, mm-hmm. and now it's not quite that simple. But the idea that that um, th- if you read it as he does actually kill Tyler, uh, and and he sort of like snaps out of that, that sort of lin- leans more towards the um, the indictment of uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> of that toxic masculinity culture kind of thing. Uh, that Tyler Durden literally physically embodies. Yeah. Um, whereas if it's the other way, it almost... And now, it, it doesn't necessarily approve of that message, or it doesn't necessarily approve of it anymore. It's just, if if it was that Tyler was the one who survived or whatever. Mm-hmm. To me, I think it... But it, but there is a whole, whole ambiguity of just like, okay, so what the fuck this happens after, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, you don't really even... You don't really need to know what happens after that. But like, okay, so they blew up all these credit things... He's going to go to jail, like what, or maybe yeah. he's not, or like, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting ending. Um, but yeah, I like the ending in the, that's a fucking dark. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's dark. This one, like I said, the ambiguity of the movie one gives you the uh, the option of optimism mm-hmm. if you want it. Yeah, and it definitely, Whereas like, the book doesn't. tonally it's optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, it is. They hold hands. Yeah. Um beautiful display of yeah fireworks. destroyed buildings yeah and then, and he's, then uh, he's got a great plays and he's and got a great line where he says uh well he like confesses his love for her and goes you've met me at a very strange time in my life or whatever he yeah. says which is a good line but okay so you uh you preferred though the ending in the book i prefer the ending in the book i yeah. can see that i can i it sounds more int- yeah. i don't know like more interesting but i can see like the, the movie ending is very movie yeah better in the movie better in the movie let's do it Okay. What's better in the movie game? <laughs> so in the book, he meets Ty meets Tyler um, on the beach, and not on a plane. Um, okay. He the idea is that he goes on vacation because he's stressed out and right. can't sleep, and he meets Tyler on vacation. Um, I like the plane better. Um, I think it fits a little bit more with um what we're kind of setting up about how he's like always on these planes and he's going from place to place and yeah. everything is uh travel size or whatever he calls it uh single serving single friends. serving yeah everything's single serving and it's just like this constant stream of go here go here yeah. go here and you can kind of see like the mental cracks yeah beginning to yeah you know. i i the the vacation thing's interesting to me because you can see it both ways because if it's on a plane like that and it's part of his daily grind when he is like sort of breaking mm-hmm. uh, and then that's when he meets him sort of makes works from that sense. But I also kind of like the idea that it happens when he's on vacation and when he f- in a moment where he um, I could see it as potentially as a moment where he's allowed himself to relax. Yeah. And and feel that freedom. Yeah. To an extent, yeah, and that's that. when Tyler manifests. Kind of, I could see that working as well. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, so, I don't know. Interesting. 
Um, so the part right before Tyler says, I want you to hit me as hard as you can, where he's like, he's saying to the narrator, just ask, just ask. Yeah, that's, that's it. That was it. That was it. The just ask line. That was the, 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 the most overtly, uh, uh, homoerotic moment in the movie to me. And Um, I couldn't remember what he was saying. That was it. It's not in the book, but I liked it. Yeah. I think it works. Adds a lot of homoeroticism. Yes, that was the one. <laughs> that was the line I was talking about earlier. Yes. Yeah, they're standing in front of the bar, and he's like, dude, just ask. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, what? I don't want it. What are you talking about? He's like, just ask. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good, it was a good scene. I liked it. Okay, the scene where he confronts his boss and, like, beats himself up. Yeah. That happens in the book with the hotel owner. Which we don't ever meet, really, in the Yeah. Movie. With... And there's stuff, um, some stuff in the book that didn't, it gets touched on in the movie, but it wasn't as big of a thing. Um, you know how Tyler is, they're waiters. Yeah. Um, and there's like a whole lot more about them, like peeing in the food. Yeah. And all kinds of stuff. Like there's a whole lot more about that. Yeah. In the book. So that scene where he beats himself up, that plays out with the boss for that job. Oh, okay. Um, and not his office boss. Yeah. But I think that worked. I think it streamlines things. Yeah, yeah, I think it does too. Yeah, and it works better, I think, with a character that we've kind of gotten to know a little bit. Yeah, and that we detest more. Yeah, because with the hotel guy, it's just like he's just a. I mean, I don't. I mean, we never even meet that character in the right. movie. But like to me, he just is like he just okay. He runs a hotel or whatever. Like, yeah. Why do we not like him? Well, we don't like the. We, or we can sympathize with with uh, the narrator's character in that scene with the car guy because that guy is responsible for basically just tallying up money right. versus people's lives. Right. And so we kind of, you know, yeah. we want the narrator to win in that exchange more, kind yeah. of. So it makes it work better as like the kind of comedic moment that it is when it's somebody we don't like. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so the scene where the cops, he tries to turn himself in, and then they're in Project Mayhem. Um, in the book, that plays out differently. It's still there, but he, like, he tries to get on a bus, and then, like, there are people on the bus that are part of Project Mayhem. They're everywhere. The and movie. then the cops show up, and he's like, oh, thank God, but then they end up being part of Project Mayhem. Yeah. And I think, again... It, it streamlines it. Yeah, they like, do the same yeah. thing, but it's just it's a little... the same thing, but it's a little like tighter and neater. And... Yeah, which is what what he said in the prequel thing that was Chuck Palahniuk thought about the film. He goes, "They did a good." He thought, he thinks it's a good adaptation, but he said they did a good job streamlining. Yeah, no, they did for the film. I don't have any other stuff. Okay, well, we can do some general discussion before we get to the final verdict because I have some things I want to talk about. Okay, so let's do it. General discussion: Fight Club. get hot and heavy into some themes also some little silly things that i noticed watching it this time and that sort of thing so one thing i noticed this time that i don't know if i noticed the first time was uh all of these single frame flashes of tyler durden in the first half yeah of the movie, which was cool yeah it's interesting because uh, it plays into the the idea the thing with the, with the, the, the theater and, and the pornography yeah. in the theater uh but yeah there's like 
five or six moments before we ever meet Tyler. Yeah, where he like flickers, where he flickers on in for a frame for like a split second. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. I, I probably noticed it before, but I don't remember. Yeah, I thought it. that was a cool technique. Yeah, to kind of lead yeah. us towards that moment. Lead us where he, toward it and to kind of throw things off kilter right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty cool. One of my favorite scenes, the plane scene, and I don't know if this is in the. It's just some of my favorite dialogue in the movie. It made me laugh a lot. Um, was when he meets Tyler Durden the first time mm-hmm. in the plane. Like I said, I don't know if this dialogue's the same in the book or not. But he uh, he goes, I call. He, he uh, the narrator says something along the lines of like uh, single serving friends or whatever. Right. And he goes, Oh, that's clever. You're clever. How's that working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> and the way he delivers it, and because like the narrator's like fine i guess and he's like good keep doing it <laughs> it's just like i don't know. so think about the way that the, the just the way that brad pitt delivers those lines and just sort of like the oh you're you're, cl- you're one of those clever guys huh cool good good for you which is like one of those moments where it's so funny because this movie feels like a super clever movie written by super clever people um trying to be super clever but at mm-hmm. the same time that's like a very like Oh, you're oh, cool. Good for yeah. your clever guy. Cool guy. Ooh, you got jokes. <laughs> you know, like it kind of shits on that idea at the same time, which yeah. kind of gets into the greater themes of, or the greater discussion we were talking about of it weirds rides that weird line between making the and 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 I think that's where what the one of the best things about the movie and the book is that it it acknowledges that there are appealing things about Tyler Durden's. Mm-hmm. Um, Perspective. perspective and life uh, philosophy. philosophy. That's the word I was looking for about Tyler Durden's philosophy, and like acknowledges that it's appealing mm-hmm. to to some extent, and that that it might even be correct to some extent in some places. And that's the thing where people can watch it and latch onto that, yeah, and like it because they think it's saying this is good, yeah, this is correct, but also. Literally, the movie ends by the protagonist of the film shooting that thing in the head. Yeah. <laughs> to stop that. <laughs> so, like, you know, mixed messages a little bit. Um, I, like I said, I, I and I, I don't want to go too much into it because we're not, I, we didn't write down, uh, we didn't write a thesis on this. And it, <laughs> even you people have written thesis on yes. this film and this book. I would highly recommend on the topic I'm, we're kind of we're kind of vaguely going back and forth about, and we're gonna go watch this after we get done recording this. I didn't want to watch it before because I didn't want to have it taint our mm-hmm. thing. But there's like a 30 minute episode, and I'm pretty sure it's Folding Ideas is the name of the YouTube channel. They did an, he did an episode on Fight Club about toxic masculinity and sort of how the film handles the idea of celebrating it while critiquing it while. Uh, acknowledging some of the, like I said, that some of what Tyler says makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, it's ultimately destructive. Yeah. All of that sort of thing. And I, there's a great moment. One of my favorite moments in the, that I never noticed. I guess I don't think I ever noticed. And they do it. And I think it's very clearly done on purpose that sort of acknowledges the inherent irony in Tyler Durden's philosophy kind of mm-hmm. is they're on the bus and they look at the, model it's like a it's like a gucci ad or i don't even know what yeah. it is but it's a guy cut six-pack model like yeah. like uh, like uh underwear calvin model. klein i think yeah, yeah calvin yeah. klein and they like look at it and smirk and then like he's like check like narrator's yeah. like because huh. this is like after their first fight club or whatever and tyler durden says like is that what a man looks like 
And then literally almost the next shot in the movie, if not the next shot, like within the next three or four minutes is a very deliberately framed shot of Brad Pitt shirtless, Mm -hmm. glistening with the exact same physique. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that is. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) It's such a great moment of just, yeah. Yeah. You know, that sort of inherent irony of that, like, you know, they're shitting on that. But he is that. Right. And especially since, as we're told in the movie, Tyler represents everything the narrator wishes he was. Right. So, you know, it, it is kind of that thing where, like. You wish you could have that, but at the same time, you kind of have to shit on it yeah. to make yourself not want it. Yeah, but you wish you were it, but you shit yeah. on it because you're not it, and you know you're never gonna be right. It. And I, but at the same time, I love the idea of, of Tyler's character being like, you know, dismissing it, and it literally, it's like the next <laughs> shot. It's him oiled up in the just, you know, cut to death, and I was just like, yep, well done. David Fincher, you know how to make a movie. <laughs> you know how to make a film. And this is one of the things, and we'll get into it a lot more in Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one I didn't think was too terrible, but there's a lot of argument. Uh, I say a lot. There's definitely some discussion to be had about uh, the sexism in David Fincher films mm-hmm. uh, to some extent. This one has a moments of it. Uh, but again, it's never, I think they do a good job of you could look at certain moments and and and, and, and it, it not in context and say, yeah, that's really sexist or that that's uh, problematic. Mm-hmm. The, the speaking of the we're a generation of men raised by women, yeah. we really need another woman, that sort of thing, that sort of mentality. But at the same time, ultimately in the way the movie plays out, uh, Marla ends up ultimately being sort of a... It turns out in the movie, assuming we take it kind of at face value, that what he does need is... A woman, yeah, and not Tyler Durden. <laughs> um, so to that extent, like it kind of is con- uh, contradicts itself and sort of it's. But um, like the main reason I wanted to touch on it, it's not as apparent in this film. Uh, there are some moments, but in Gone Girl, it's a really big discussion I want to have, and I want because it's that movie is very interesting, and I'll be very interested to see how it compares to the book because mm-hmm. I I got hashtag triggered by that movie and. <laughs> I don't, not really. Like there was like lots of moments in Gone Girl, where I was like, nah, "This is okay, all right." That's. Yeah, I'm interested for that one, and we're doing that one fairly soon. Yeah. So. Okay. Anyways. No, but uh, yeah, I think the the sexism aspect is interesting to discuss because it's the book is pretty high on the testosterone, right? We don't have an overabundance of female characters. There's Marla. And there's Chloe who bites the dust by like chapter four. Yeah, Yeah. but I think it's interesting that you bring up that if we take the end of the movie at face value, it ends up what he needs is a woman, Marla. And Um, that's that's a very loose face value reading. I don't necessarily think that's fair. I just yeah, you could read it that way. It's interesting to me though that that kind of comes through because in the book, what was kind of interesting to me was that. So in the book, um, I want to say he figures out the multiple personality things sooner than he does in the movie, but it's hard to tell because of the way it all runs together and because of the way, like, the movie did, like, 
teeny, teeny, tiny little bits of rearranging and uh, like teeny, tiny little cuts and changes. It, it was a faithful adaptation, except when it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Because they just made like these teeny, just teeny, tiny little, little changes, except for the ending. Yeah. But so I want to say that he figures it out faster and then he's trying to correct some of the mayhem that he's caused. Yeah, and that's what that's happens Tyler. in the movie. And he figures out that when he falls asleep, he wakes back up as Tyler Durden. Um, so he says, okay, I have to stay awake. Yeah. And then Marla becomes literally the only person he can trust. Right. To, like, understand what's happening and to try and help him stay awake so yeah. that he can correct this. Yeah. So, I mean, in a way, we're getting kind of the same message from the book, yeah. right? They, he needs her yeah. now to try and fix the mayhem that yeah. toxic masculinity yeah. embodied yeah. has caused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I, I, I guess you can get a similar thing from the movie. It's done a little different. The way you say, describe it in the in the book is actually more interesting and more uh, push. At least from how you described it, to me, pushes more towards that. Yeah. Than in the movie. In the movie, mm-hmm. she just kind of shows up at the end and. They live happily ever after. I mean, right. Not really, but like you know, like in, the, in this brave new world. In this brave new world, they live happily ever after. That's free sort of, of the, credit companies. Yeah, that's sort of the implied uh, imagery of the. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 probably not. But right. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I want to talk about in regards to a kind of condemnation of this high testosterone type of thing is actually Big Bob. Yeah. Because Big Bob has bitch tits. Yeah. Yes. Yes, he does. Because he had to go on hormone treatment. Yeah. And he had too much testosterone. testosterone. Yeah. 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 Yeah, too much testosterone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, not all of it's super subtle. Yeah. No. (laughs) Not all of it's super subtle. Um, But, you know, it is there. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely, it's funny, though, because like I said, it's, one of the things that's most fascinating to me about this movie is how so many people would watch it, and and I I think I and I, and I think I touched on this earlier that you can watch it, especially because like to me I I don't think I ever well one thing I just wasn't as into that sort of critical analysis and and even understanding of like the those kind of greater themes when I mm-hmm. saw this the first time as a senior in high school or mm-hmm. whatever whenever I saw it I was eighteen years old and I wasn't in the headspace to understand that kind of shit really but. It's so interesting to me that so many different people can watch it and and see it as a almost a celebration of right uh, that uh, that the the stuff Project Mayhem does and that the Fight Club and all of that stuff is like a good thing right because it spawned so many people yeah starting Fight Clubs or or sort of kind of and trying to embrace and not how many people actually went. You know, but there was there was a spat of terrorist attacks that were inspired ish by the mm-hmm. movie and that sort of thing and sort of that um, burn it down mayhem yeah. idea. Um, how many people can watch it and get that, and yet you can watch it and get the entirely opposite right. <laughs> viewpoint? I, mean, <laughs> like, I think there's a couple factors at play there. Um, one, I think you definitely can read it both ways. Yeah, I, I think. Both interpretations are there. Yeah. Um, two, I think people see what they want to see and read what yes, they want to read. That's fair. That's 100% fair. And to some extent, 
that idea of burning it all down and starting over appeals to all of us. Yeah. As I said, that's the thing that's most successful about it and, and why I think it's so fascinating is because it and what I think is uh, I don't know what the right word for it is, but what uh, brilliant, I guess, yeah. about it is it embraces that. I, it, it rides that fine line of embracing and understanding and and entertaining the idea Yes. That these are not only uh, potentially the right way to look about the world, but if not, not even the correct way to look at the world, it's definitely an enticing, yeah. sometimes an enticing way to look at the world. It's, an, it's a, a freeing way to look at the world and that sort of understands, it's understanding and almost apologetic to an extent of, uh, to the people who have those feelings mm -hmm. like it, it, like the, the, the character, the, um, the narrator's character, he's, a, he's a very sympathetic character because we all kind of see a little bit of that. And then yeah. I say all, a lot of people see a little bit of themselves in that being part of the machine. What does right. this mean? What it does sort of, uh, nihilistic, like, Right, just feeling, existential crisis yeah. of like what the fuck is any of this filled by the daily grind and right, having like, all your stuff what and, is the point of any yeah. of this and so that's sure. a thing everybody's dealt with at some point in their life most people have dealt with at some point in their life and so it not only acknowledges that people deal with that it goes you know it's here's one way to deal with it <laughs> and maybe that's not the worst thing but it also ultimately comes out and goes it's not the right way to do, probably not the right way to deal with yeah. it yeah <laughs> i think too and this maybe might make me sound like some kind of weird elitist, but with people reading it different ways, I think there's also like an illiteracy factor of like not knowing how to interpret 100% different things. And that's what I almost when I was getting into when I said that I, I could felt different ways about it at different times in my yeah. life. Is because of that literacy. Yes. And I, even now, I'm not. I'm hardly one of the most like uh, intelligent, critical-minded person when it comes to a film. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't always see all the layers there, but at least try to. Right. And it is. It is a critical thinking skill. Yeah. But if you don't have those tools at your disposal, if you don't know what to look for, and if you don't have the vocabulary yeah. and the language to think about it and talk about it. It's going to go right over your head. Yeah, and I think a microcosm of what you're saying there is that moment, like I said, that nobody would ever notice. No, I say nobody. Most people would never notice, but it is an indictment of Tyler Durden's character is that moment on the bus yes. with the model. It's a filmmaking thing that most people wouldn't even exactly it's a thing right. to chuckle at they're like ha, that's because but they don't even think about that because they don't have the vocabulary for how film is made mm -hmm. and what what that joke and that because he's literally almost the model is framed almost the and shot almost the exact same way as Tyler Durden yes. is 30 seconds later in the movie and if you don't think about that you know or and I'm, the first time I saw the movie I probably didn't even think about it yeah uh, but things like that like that moment is one of those things where yeah right. if you don't have the background knowledge and the tools at your disposal yeah. to think about it and to talk about it it's not going to have any impact for you no you're just going to think man this is fighting's cool yeah this yeah. is just yeah fuck those calvin klein models yeah. movie's the greatest yeah tyler durden's the best he's not <laughs> he's not a terrorist he's or not anything. a terrorist or anything it's the same people who watch breaking bad and root for walter white so <laughs> <laughs> same same issue um 
Kind of. It's a very yeah. similar issue. Uh, I had one little, and this is the thing I talked about earlier, my last little note, I think. And this is the moment with Jared Leto that I just wanted to talk about. And so uh, Jared Leto is the lead singer. Everybody knows Jared Leto is now as an actor. Mm-hmm. But he's the lead singer of one of my favorite bands, 30 Seconds to Mars, mm-hmm. which was created in 1998. Hmm. Which was a year before this came out. Yeah. And he, I think he'd been a musician before that or whatever. But it, that was like when they started was like 1998. So like when this was filming-ish probably. <laughs> the, the scene where he's introduced, uh, Tyler Durden is walking around talking to them all. kind of, And it's like the beginning of Project Mayhem kind mm-hmm. of. And he says, we were all raised to think that we'd be... And he lists off like athlete. Uh, he says like a bunch of things. But the moment he says rock stars, he is standing directly in front of Jared Leto <laughs> and says it directly to his face. And now maybe it's a coincidence. I don't think that's a coincidence. But I I lost it. I was like, that is amazing. <laughs> I think that was something that they all laughed their asses off about yeah. at, on set. And yeah. they were like, no, we have to do that. We have to yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. But watch that scene. It's <laughs> it's the first scene where Jared Leto shows up. And I, I it's like where he's explaining like his philosophy to them all or whatever. And he so yeah, his line, he goes, we all grew up being told we could be whatever we wanted to be, blah, 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 blah. And then he says, eh, rock stars. And he's literally face to face with Jared Leto. And I was like, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, jokes on you, Tyler Durden. Maybe it's another deep, another meta commentary because he fucking did it. 30 Seconds of Mars is a huge band. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, he was incredibly successful it's rock like star. Meta, meta commentary. <laughs> but they didn't even know it at the time because they were just starting. They never knew if they would be anything. Ugh, yeah, that's funny. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we hit the final verdict? Um, I just want to mention one scene because I hated it so much. Um, uh, near the end, when Tyler is beating up the narrator in the parking garage or whatever yeah. of that building, um, the scenes where he's actually beating him up, fine. Um, but then when they show the flashes on the security cameras... It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And it also looks like a scene from a horror movie. <laughs> There's the one in particular. I had the same thing. Some of them are fine. Some yeah, of them are like... But like the one where he's dragging him? Makes no sense. Zero sense. Makes no sense. Because he has his arms like... Uh, yeah, it physically yeah. is impossible. He's like kicking his legs. I guess they were trying to make it look like he's pushing himself. But the speed at which he's moving yeah. and the way his hands are and the way his back's up off the ground... And his feet, yeah. are, like, there's no way he could make himself move that way. No. And it may, yeah, it looks like a ghost is dragging him. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree. Just, like, that's just nonsense. That one in particular, that one particular shot of that makes zero sense. I was like, yeah, that it's physically impossible. Yeah. Like, that's, but yeah, so yeah, you're, I agree. I thought the same thing. I was like, that, <laughs> the rest of them where he's just kind of falling over, what a sure fine, whatever. But there are also some little moments like that that I thought was interesting the little clues for the audience. And now you mm-hmm. notice them more after you know the twist. And I mean, you knew the twist, yeah. but uh, you know, Oh, we have the same briefcase, that yeah. sort of thing. But that one that I thought was pretty funny is when he is, when the narrator is beating himself up in his boss's office and he goes to reminding me of the first time I fought Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> all right. Oh, you're clever. How's that working out for you? <laughs> The final verdict, Katie, Fight Club, is the book or the film better? I'm going to give it to the book. 
to probably no one's surprise. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. This is um, a tough one because, like I said, even the even the director or even the even Chuck Polinick thinks that. No, I don't know if he is, thinks this the is a better, but one. he thinks it's a very good adaptation. This was a tough one because it was a good adaptation. It's a pretty faithful adaptation, except yeah. for some you know changes here and there, and the and the ending. And the ending. But I like the ending of the book. I like the way that the book is, like I said, it's like reading a fever dream. It's kind of stream of consciousness, but not really. Everything kind of runs together, um, and you're not really sure which way is up and which way is down. Yeah. Um, the movie is really good. It's filmed really well. Yeah. Um, it's fun to watch. Yeah, it is. And uh, the acting is all brilliant in it. Yeah. Like, they're all great. But I felt like... Maybe just for the subject matter, even too, I think a book works a little bit better. Yeah. Like that format just works a little better. I can see that. I can see that. Uh, and, and it's <clears throat> because you have to, uh, like we talked about in the prequel, they had to do a voiceover to make it yeah. work. Oh, yeah. That would not have like worked I said, without uh, the voiceover. The idea that they could do that without a voiceover is nonsense. But um, I realized after we were watching it, just not to get off to it, we're going to wrap this up, but uh, that I thought for the longest time the narrator's name was jack after i watched the movie the first time oh <laughs> and i never put together why i thought that until this time i was like oh because he reads those articles yeah. and he goes i am jack's you know whatever and i thought in my i guess i wasn't paying attention enough the first time and i thought yeah. that was just the narrator talking about himself <laughs> and i was like all right guess his name's jack yeah we never know his no, name yeah. not in the book not in the movie nope, no name narrator. no tyler name narrator man he's tyler Durden. Well, he's not, but... Well, at one point, we don't learn his name, but he shows the way he proves to Marla that um, Tyler Durden is made up. He shows her his license. Oh. He's like, no luck. Look, it's <laughs> not Tyler Durden. <laughs> cool. So, in this instance, Fight Club, the book, a little bit better. Yeah, edges out the movie just a bit. Cool. All right, that's it for this episode. Before we go, though... What are we doing? Well, we have a prequel episode, but what's our next book slash movie? Our next book slash movie is something that I am eager to talk about because I'm going to burn it to the ground. Tyler Durden style. Oh, is this what I think it is? It's Miss Peregrine's yeah. Home for Peculiar Children. I kind of liked this movie. We're going to have a fight. All right. I mean, I'm not, I don't know if we will, because I mean, I can see if it's, you know, if it's not a good adaptation right on, I, but I think it's an okay movie. Anyways, so Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Um, tune in to hear me get angry. Katie's going to be real salty about this one. So that'll be our next one. Uh, before too long, I'm going to start reading Ready Player One, because that's coming out. Although... Spoilers, some people on the internet think it's a terrible book I just found out, which I'm interested. Oh, I've never read like it. Like, Lindsay Ellis hates it. Oh. I know. I don't know. I'm so confused now because Adam Savage <laughs> loves it and Lindsay Ellis hates it. And they're two of my favorite people in the world, so I don't know what to think. But <laughs> um, we'll see, I guess. Uh <laughs> so, uh, in the meantime, you can do us a favor. We're gonna, uh, you can go to iTunes, give us a five star rating and a review. That helps a lot. We're up to like 12 star, 12 reviews, and I have like five stars, which is great. It's helping. Uh, we've been getting a lot more downloads lately. Our, our downloads this last week have been at an all time high, pretty much, which is exciting. You can also go to Stitcher if that's where you get us or whatever. Rate us, review us there. Check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash this film is lit, I believe. Uh, we're on Twitter at this film is lit, and we're going 
by the time you're hearing this, I think, we have a subreddit. Uh, one of our listeners wrote in and said, hey, guys, you should make a subreddit because then we could talk about books and movies on there instead of trying to do it on Facebook or Twitter because it's not really conducive to that sort of thing. And I was like, that's a good idea. So we're going to make a This Film Is Lit subreddit. It'll just be reddit.com slash r slash This Film Is Lit. Uh, where we'll have eventually at some point posts for every single episode slash, you know, so not probably not the prequel, maybe the prequel ones, but um, every book movie episode. And so we can have discussions in there. So look for that when you hear this. You can head out mm-hmm. if you're a Redditor. Check that out. Uh, subscribe. Yeah. When we get that up and running, I will pin that link to yeah. the top of our Facebook and our Twitter. So it'll be so easy to find. find it. But yeah, it's a, it'll be a good way for us because we want to have that kind of discussion with, you know, with people disagree with our take on Fight Club, which I'm sure somebody will <laughs> or whatever. Uh, it would be nice to be able to have that back and forth. It, like I said, at Facebook, you can kind of do it, but it's not as I think yeah. a subreddit's a good way to do it, uh, to have that kind of back and forth with people and kind of discuss the movies and the books. So that's it, guys. That's it for and gals and non-binary and all of our other lovely listeners. That's it. We'll see you on the next episode in one week. Bye bye. Unless you have something else, Katie. He's over there laughing. <laughs> trying to figure out how to I end this like fucker. The way you say bye-bye. 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 I always think of uh, some cartoon kid or something. Bye-bye. I don't even know what it is. It's just something in my head that I think yeah. is a cartoon character that yeah, says bye-bye. Yeah, like I that. think you're right.